yesterday we had a uh, strong storm come through. I know probably many of you were tailgating at the time, kind of disrupted your plans. Um, though it was a pretty strong storm, last month we had an even greater storm come through the area. And in my neighborhood, it was serious wind, so much so that it ripped uh, trees to shreds, <laughs> threw branches around. And, and in one case, um, uh, my wife and I are walking through the neighborhood surveying the damage for those wherever you lived. Maybe you saw this. There was one tree that was all the way uprooted. It was like a huge Christmas tree. And when it fell over, the roots fell with it, uh, came out with it. And it, the roots were even higher than people and higher than cars. It was all the way down. It, it was a very uh, astounding sight. And so other trees in the area, their leaves are stripped and their branches are broken, but they were still standing. But this big old Christmas tree was down. And on the next day, when we walked by the house, it was all chopped up into firewood. The goal over this next year is to root you deep in the gospel of God so that when these storms of life come, they may kind of rip you to shreds. <laughs> You've like got some branches hanging off, not doing so well, but they don't uproot you. We want to be so rooted deep in the gospel of God that when issues, suffering, pain comes, you know, it may break us in a sense, but it's not going to uproot us. And as John just mentioned, our sister in Christ, Sue Foley, has been suffering. Now she is with the Lord, but she has been suffering over this last year in and out of treatment. And if you want to see a woman who is rooted deep in the gospel of God, you can see it in the joy she had, the peace she had, as we would interact with her, she says, I know I'm going to be with the Lord. Because she believed the gospel. And she rooted herself deep in the gospel. And when the storms came, she was solid. And I don't want to, 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 to scare you or to discourage you. But if you know life, those same storms are going to come your way. Even in college, you're going to have issues, problems. Pain. But if you are rooted deep in the gospel of God, you may be battered, but not uprooted. And this gospel of God I'm talking about, obviously, is found in the Bible. And one of the clearest articulations of this gospel of God is found in the book of Romans. And this book of Romans has been used throughout history to change people's lives. There's some famous people, perhaps you've heard of them, uh, Augustine, Calvin, Luther, Wesley, Bunyan. They have been radically impacted by the book of Romans. And if you know their stories, they went out to change the world. And it has been my prayer that God would root you deep in his gospel, that it will change you alter you, and then you will in turn go out and change the world. So let's go ahead and turn to the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament. Perhaps you've studied it before. Maybe you've not. And I want to tell you that it's going to be a very challenging book to study, and you're going to have to work with me. You're going to have to work with me if you want to be rooted. This, this is not as easy as the book of Proverbs 
We've been covering Proverbs for the last year, and Proverbs is basically Romans tweeted, all right? So this is not Proverbs. It's not going to be easy, and, and it's going to require you to study. It's going to require you to think in ways that go beyond mere devotional reading, and so I'm just saying, you've got to work with me here. You're going to have to pray deeply about understanding. You're going to have to read, reread, take notes. And most importantly, you need to study the book of Romans in community. What you're going to get here on Sunday morning is part one of the sermon. Part two of the sermon is going to take place in our ethos communities where we're going to continue to discuss Romans. So you're going to have to be active in this. You just can't sit there passively and say, well, whatever. You have to dive deep on your own, dive deep in community. And I'll tell you, I've been looking forward to this book for about three years now. I'm working my way through memorizing it, and I've, I've been reciting it to you uh, over the years. I'm still working on it. But this, this book has been changing and shaping me, and I believe it's going to do the same for you. But you're going to have to put some effort into it. I mean, am, I, am I stressing that enough? You're going to have to be with it, into it, thinking through it, dialoguing, interacting with your brothers and sisters if you want to be rooted and grow in this gospel of God. So let me set the context. The context. This book is written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing it to a cluster of house churches in the capital city of Rome. And he's never visited this church or these churches before. And so he writes this letter as an introduction of sorts. And he kind of has three main purposes in writing the letter. The first reason he writes this letter is he wants to introduce them to his gospel, which is in turn their gospel. And he's going to say, we share the same gospel. The second reason why he's writing the letter is that there is some tensions between the Jew and the Gentile in the Roman church. And Paul's going to say, hey, the gospel unites you together, and this is how, in the gospel, you can get along. And the third reason why he's writing the letter is it's almost kind of like a missionary support letter. He's seeking help from them as he carries the gospel beyond uh, the places he has been, and he keeps pushing in and into Spain. But for today, it's going to be really easy today, sort of. <laughs> We're just going to look at one verse. Okay? Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll restate that. We're going to look at one sentence. Seven verses, one sentence. And in this one sentence, Paul is going to kind of hit on three things. I'll put them up for you so you can follow along. He's going to talk about the call of God, the gospel of God, the mission of God. That's where Paul's going. That's where we're going. So let's start out with the call of God. Now, if you've never worked your way through a whole book before, now is your chance. Let's do it. Verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. If you know anything about Paul, this is, this is ridiculous. This is astonishing that he would call himself a servant or a slave of Christ. Because at one time, he was totally opposed to Jesus and his followers. But now, apparently, he's an all-in, sold-out Christ follower. If you want to know how astonishing this is, it'd be like Bill Maher or uh, Richard Dawkins. Those who, who have attacked the Christian faith all of a sudden coming out and say, I'm all in for Jesus. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a servant of Christ. He is my master, whatever he wants. This is so astonishing, this radical change in Paul's life. And the only way that you can explain the change in Paul's life is through God calling him. 
there was a call upon Paul's life where he was changed. The only way you can explain the change is the call of God. So let's just, let's just do Paul's life, right? Here's Paul. He was breathing out murderous threats to Christians. He was going about having Christians arrested. So he's headed on his way to Damascus. And then Jesus intervenes in his life from heaven and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus, from heaven, confronts Paul, the persecutor, confronts Paul, the opponent of God, confronts Paul, the blasphemer. And then, and then for a time, Paul becomes blind from this encounter. And as he's rolling the days to come, he discovers that Jesus has called him to both salvation and to service. And his service will be the preaching of the gospel. So Jesus saves him. Paul starts preaching Jesus. People see Paul and they go, you've got to be kidding me. Paul, the guy who just tried to get Christians arrested, saying that he was going to kill Christians, is now preaching Christ. How did that happen? Well, the only way you can explain it is the call of God. Paul was called by God to salvation and to service. Radical change. And Paul's call is the representative, is a representative of the call of every single believer. If you are a believer, Paul's call from God to salvation and service is a representative in your life, the same call. But before I move on to that call, I need to branch out a bit and talk about another call. All right? See if you can track with me here. Most of you, maybe most of you, would consider in your life to have a certain call you would say it's your vocational call. It's what you were um, created for. It's what you're into. It's what your talents move toward. It's what uh, you were trained for. So maybe you would say, you know, I'm a, I'm a scientist. Or you would say, you know, I really feel called to be a stay-at-home mom. Or I feel called to be a teacher. And I know some of you are young. You're still trying to work through your call. You're trying to figure out that thing that you uh, were, were called to do. But when you, when you discover it, you say, this is what I was made for. And some of you are in the zone. You're like, this is what I was made to do. So that's more of a vocational call. But the call of God to salvation and to service is so much greater that it makes you say, this is what I was saved for. So see if you can make the connection. So here we go. Vocational call. This is what I was made for, your natural talents. And then the call of God to salvation and service is this is what I was saved for. Now let's look at that call, the call of God to salvation and service. Paul uses similar language to describe his call and the call of believers. Look at in verse 6. Jump down to verse 6 now of the call of believers. Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has called the Christians in Rome to salvation. If you see it in verse 6, he says, called to belong to Jesus Christ. In addition, God has called them to service. Verse 7, called to be saints. A saint is one who is set apart for, for the service to God. So when this, like, how did the call come for them? Well, it came because they 
heard the gospel, and they were enabled to repent and believe by faith in Jesus Christ. And we are told that God has set his affections on those in Rome because they are now classified as those who are loved by God. So the Bible seems to explain that believers have God's special affection of love set upon them. Now, I know that some of you wonder about election and predestination. Does God call some people and does God not call other people? And I want you to hold those questions because we're going to get there eventually in Romans. But for this morning's purposes, understand that if you're a believer, get this, you did not receive God's call, that is, where you were able to believe. You didn't receive God's call because there was something inherently lovable about you. You did not receive God's call because you really impressed him in special ways. You didn't receive God's call because he looked on you and he said, wow, that girl or that boy is so morally good, I'm going to call them to myself. The Bible is very clear that you, separated from God, a rebellious sinner, spitting in the face of God, not wanting him at all, as rebellious as the Apostle Paul in the sense of God's wrath was on you. And at that moment, at the initiative of God, not your initiative, at the initiative of God, boom, he called you. You heard the gospel and you were enabled to believe. Happened to me. 19 years old. I kid you not. 19 years old. Went to school in Arkansas. All I was thinking about was playing tennis. That's all I did. I was thinking about studying. And I was living a life of sexual morality. Rebelling against God. Didn't want to have anything to do with God. And all of a sudden, at God's initiative, he decided, okay, now I'm going to break in with the gospel. Jason's going to hear the gospel. I'm going to enable him to repent and to believe all to the glory and grace of God was not my initiative. It's God's call. God's call to Paul. God's call to the Roman believers. And those of you who are believers today, it is God's initiative and call to salvation and service in your life. Now let me bring up your vocational call again. This is so important for you to get. Please get this. Some of you are at that stage in your life where you're trying to say, I don't know if anybody's ever asked this question. What is God's will for my life? God, just show me what you want me to do. You're working through that, right? And then that's cool. And I want you to work through that. And I want you to wrestle and struggle with these big decisions you've got to make in life, vocational calling, who you're going to marry, what you're going to do. But let me just tell this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. You've got to find your identity and your hope in the call of God and not your vocational call. It's great you can be a scientist, a stay-at-home mom, a student, or whatever, but if you find your identity, you identify yourself that way, and you find your joy there, one day that might be taken from you. you one day you're probably going to retire and not be that anymore. Or maybe you're going to be a scientist whose experiments just aren't very good. 
Or maybe you're going to be that parent who's just a failure. You're not a good parent. Join the crowd. And you're just going to be the person when, these, when your world starts to crumble because what your vocational call is, what you're made to do that's not going so well, you may crash. But if your identity, if your hope is in the call of God, then you're stable. Why? Because you're a child of God. He's called you sons and daughters. He picked you. That was his initiative. Find your identity there. It's great you do what you do, but don't find it in the vocational call, but in the divine call of God to salvation and service. So we have this call that comes at the initiative of God, calls us to himself for salvation and service. But the thing that we have in common at this call, and the thing that Paul had in common with the Romans is, is the thing we're really going to hone in now. It should be our focus. And it is something called the gospel of God. I think the gospel of God is a pretty big theme in the book of Romans. So let's hone in on this gospel of God. Look at verse 1 again. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. What is this gospel? Well, let me, I'm going to put a definition up, and I'll use this definition throughout Romans. Here's the, a definition of the gospel. We'll flesh this out throughout Romans. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ to rescue lost humanity from their sins and adopt them as children of God. We'll hit this time and time again. And Paul says in verse 1 that he has been set apart for this gospel. This means that in Paul's life, this gospel is his all-consuming passion and focus. And I think that we as well have been set apart for this gospel. If someone says, what are you into? Or what's your thing, man? You say, it's the gospel. We are called to be gospel men and gospel women. Men and women who are consumed with the gospel. And I don't want that just to be a flaky term that we throw out there. I want it to be something that is rooted deep in the truth of God. So what do we mean when we talk about the gospel? Well, let's look more and more at the specifics. Here's the time where you need to stay awake and think. Because it's not going to be easy. But it's good. First... The gospel is rooted in the past. Look at verse 2. So the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It's not like all of a sudden the New Testament shows up and you go, wow, this is brand new stuff. We had no hint of this at all in the Old Testament. No, the Old Testament is giving hints throughout of the gospel, of the good news of Christ. And when Paul shows up in Rome, a church that is made up of Jews and Gentiles, he's basically telling the Jews, this is not something new. I didn't create this. This was hinted at through your Old Testament scriptures. It was promised in the Old Testament. So I just want you to know, Roman church, that Moses has got my back. Isaiah's got my back. Jeremiah's got my back. Zechariah's got my back. Zephaniah's got my back. Malachi's got my back. This gospel that I'm preaching is rooted in the Old Testament. Not some brand new made up stuff. It's rooted in the Old Testament. But notice also, the gospel is not only rooted in the past, but it's also centered on the Son. Look at verse 3. 
So which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So the heart of the gospel is all about the son of God. The heart of the gospel is all about Jesus. And it's specifically referencing here God's son who existed before the creation of the world with the father in heaven and the son existed with the father and is equal with him throughout eternity. Can we, can we agree on that? The Son is equal with the Father, existed with Him throughout eternity. Yet there came a time in history where the Son, the Son of God, took on flesh. And we have a reference to His fleshly existence here where it talks about who was descended from David according to the flesh. When the Son of God took on flesh and became a man, He was descended from David, which means he is from the line of King David. He is a descendant of David in the sense where this is his heritage, where he is from. In fact, the Messiah, the Savior, had to come from David. It was promised in the Old Testament. And Paul's saying, yes, this man, Jesus, the Son of God, the preexistent one, now is in the line of David, just like the Old Testament scriptures say. So we talk about his earthly existence in the flesh, descendant of David. But now Paul switches from his earthly existence to his heavenly existence in verse 4. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, now don't think the scripture is saying, well... Here came this guy, Jesus. He died, and then he rose again. And then when he rose again, that's when he became the Son of God. Not at all what it's saying. What's going on here is a contrast between the incarnate earthly life of the Son of God and the resurrected heavenly life of the incarnate Son of God. The one who is preexistent with the Father has now come down to the earth, and on his fleshly life, the sin of David, humility, suffering on the cross, died, rose again in power by the Holy Spirit. Now he is the incarnate, reigning Son of God. That is the one we are submitting to. That is the one we are bowing to. So you got it again? Son of God, preexistent, comes down, takes on flesh, humility, suffering, the sin of David. And the contrast is between this life and now the resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, reigning Son of God, incarnate, the one that was incarnate, in power. And that is the one we are to submit to. And that is the gospel Paul says he's set apart for. And that is what we are set apart for, which means we are to be consumed with this gospel. I was talking to someone about, about, about the Son of God, Jesus, this past week, and the, the point being made by the other person is, I don't see any relevance, even if it is true. I, I do want to say that I believe that he is now reigning in power, and the relevance for him is that he is now my Lord. And so he is in control, and I submit to him, and I want to obey him because he's my master. I am his servant. And so that has relevance, not just for Sunday morning, but that has relevance for all of my life. And now, where I'm at, I want to be a gospel man. I want to be consumed with the Son of God reigning in power. Perhaps you do too. So we kind of put it together here, okay? We got the call of God to salvation and service. We're consumed with the gospel, the sons reigning in power. But now we got to do something, right? We don't just sit around and say, well, that's a great story. Now we come to the last part. We come to the mission of God. 
And the mission of God is in verse 5. Verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Mm, that's interesting. So we have Paul. He got grace. He has this official role to carry out the mission of God. We share in that same mission. Now, I know most of you are tired this morning because you guys are, have been consumed with football recently. And I know um, a lot of football's on your mind because um, there was an important game yesterday. Uh, the one I'm talking about is my son's flag football game. What game did you have in mind? <laughs> All right. All right, well, yesterday, I'm, I'm the coach of my son. So he's six years old. Um, I'm the coach, and here's what I do. I call the players to myself in the huddle, and we're about the gospel of football. And then I send them out on a mission to execute the play, which they do so poorly. <laughs> so, so make the connection, all right? So... God calls us to himself in the gospel, right? Okay? We're all about the gospel, the Son of God. And then he sends us out on mission to execute the play. And this mission he sends us on, it, it, it has a purpose. And it also has a motivation. And it also has a certain extent that it's to go to. Look again at verse 5. You can see the purpose there. The purpose is to bring about the obedience of faith. What does that mean? Well, pause on that one. Let's just put that one on hold and look at the motivation and the extent. You see the, this mission is carried out with the main motivation of bringing praise to Jesus, where it says, for the sake of his name. So as this mission is carried out, it's for Jesus. It's not for me. It's not, it's not for you. It's for the sake and praise of Jesus. But look at the extent of it. It's to go for the sake of his name among all the nations. So regardless of ethnic background, whether someone is a Jew or a Greek, this mission is to extend for the praise of Jesus all around the world. Now let's do the hard work. What does it mean, the purpose of the mission, is to bring about the obedience of faith? You need to get this. If you're on mission, if, if, if I called the play, you want to know what to do. God has called the play. You are to bring about the obedience of faith. What does that mean, to bring about the obedience of faith? Does it mean that we, we go out and we preach the gospel, and when someone believes, then they have obeyed the command to believe? Mm, maybe that's kind of part of it. But I think what, what Paul is getting at right here is that Paul's saying when the gospel goes out and we go out around the world, what we want to see, we want to come see others come to faith in Christ that expresses itself in obedience, good works, obeying the commands of God. See, see if you can get this, all right? You have a coin. Obedience and faith are different sides of the same coin. It is so important for you to distinguish between faith 
and obedience. It's so important for you to make the distinguish there, but it's also so important for you to keep them together because we are saved through faith alone and the finished work of Christ alone. You're not saved by your works. And yet, if you have true faith, your faith will express itself in obedience and wanting to obey the commands of God. And perhaps you've come from churches or backgrounds where you somehow think that it's just about believing and then you can just go do whatever you want with life. And I just want to tell you, that's not true saving faith. True saving faith will show some fruit, will express itself in obedience to the commands of God. So what we want to do, we want to go out, proclaim the gospel, see people come to faith in Christ... And then continue to disciple them in Christ because Jesus gave this great commission. He said, go make disciples. And he said, oh, by the way, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. That is our mission. Go out, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, see people come to faith, and see people carry out the commands of God. That's what our mission is. And if you ask me, it seems a little impossible can you imagine talking to people who, who are not following Jesus and you say, okay, by the way, what I'm about to tell you is going to radically alter your life where you're going to believe in Jesus. In fact, you're going to start obeying him as Lord for the rest of your life. It almost seems impossible. And I, and I think a lot of us think it seems impossible because we rarely share our faith because you're thinking, what's the use? Nothing's going to happen. But let me give you a word of encouragement. The mission feels impossible unless... God still calls people. Are you with me? If it's up to me to get someone to believe and follow Jesus, it ain't going to happen. But if the Bible's true and God still calls people today, then perhaps he's going to work when I am proclaiming the gospel to bring them to faith and to bring them to obedience. This past week, a friend of mine uh, were together, and we were talking to this girl who's a sophomore. And we were talking to her about this gospel of God, right? Now, I just want to be honest. Most conversations that I have with people about the gospel are kind of like this. Hello, is anybody home? Glazed overlook, politely listening, whatever. Or they're combative. They want to push back. They want to argue back. And I'm fine with that. I like that, more interaction. But rarely do I see what happened in this sophomore girl this last week. Rarely do I see this. She didn't have much knowledge, much background, but I rarely see someone, in all honesty, is asking questions for herself. She's like asking stuff. Not to challenge, but like, really? How does that work? How is that really love? How does that work for me? I mean, just like, and, and, uh, and I'm just thinking to myself, perhaps that sophomore girl is in the initial stages of God stirring her up and calling her to himself. And if I don't believe that God is still calling people to himself, then I am hopeless in any of my gospel proclamation efforts. But God is still calling people to himself. And so we go out and we start carrying out this mission and we want to see people come to the obedience of faith. Now, I want to just close by giving you this. 
talked about your vocational calling, and I talked about the calling of God. And I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about this week. I think there's got to be an integration of these dual callings. There's got to be more of a mixture of these two callings because if you have, like, your vocational calling, like, this is what I was made for, and then you have your calling to salvation and service, like, this is what I was saved for, it seems like this calling of God seems to be all-consuming to have nothing to do with what you spend the majority of your time on. Are you with me here? Are you with me? Like, say, well, I got this call to be a mom, and I got this call to be a student, I got this call to be a scientist, and we can't say, well, that call of God rarely has anything to do with this. There's got to be some mixture integration. And I think the rest of your life you're going to figure that out, right? You're like, well, how does my faith integrate with my work, integrate with my family? How does it all go together? And I want you to work that out. I want you to work that out in community. Feel free. I know you're strategic people. Get all strategic about it. But I got to leave you with something that is so obvious that I hope it blows you away. Can I just state the obvious? Are you ready for this? There is a church in Rome. (laughs) Paul's writing to a church in Rome. Are you with me? There are believers in Rome. And here's the big kicker. Paul didn't plant this church. He's never even been there. How in the world are there believers in Rome? How did that happen? This is probably how it happened. There's some, some dude, <laughs> some woman. They're living out their trade. They're, they're doing what they're made for in the capital city of the Roman Empire. And they, maybe they're Jewish. And they go, huh, there's this festival coming up in Jerusalem called Pentecost. Perhaps I can cash in. <laughs> Maybe I can go there and do some business, make some money. Or maybe they were Jews and they were thinking, you know what, I'm going to go there and I'm going to celebrate the festival. So they travel to Jerusalem. And they get there and maybe they're selling their goods. And Jerusalem is packed with pilgrims from all around celebrating the festival of Pentecost. And while they are there, Peter gets up. Everybody's kind of speaking in tongues, right? Remember that? What's going on here? Are these men drunk? And Peter stands up and he starts preaching the gospel. And the Bible tells us from Acts 2 that some of those there are visitors from Rome. So some of these visitors of Rome get converted. Now they go back to Rome and while they're in Rome, they're doing their vocational trade, what they were made for, right? Oh, but something happened in Jerusalem something that changed them. It seems that the resurrected Son of God, at God's initiative, called them to himself, to salvation and service, and it changed them. And I don't know how strategic they were, but it seems like this change in their life started spilling out. And not only are they doing what they are made for, they're starting to do what they were saved for. And maybe this, it seems like, this obedience of faith starts to spread and roam. And people get converted. And people get converted. And people get converted. And it changes the Roman Empire. My brothers and sisters, now it's your turn. Now it's your calling. You were 
saved for this. Let this gospel be your all-consuming passion and fire that you serve a resurrected, exalted Lord and let it overflow and spill out of your life and change this city and change this world. This is what you were saved for. Let's pray. Lord, we see mercy, we see grace that you have called us to yourself by the power of your spirit to believe in your son. Rebellious sinners separated from you. You have called us. May we be astounded by your grace. May we be blown away by your mercy. And Lord, we just ask that, I know there's a lot of things going on in our lives, a lot of things we're thinking about, a lot of things in our vocational callings and our everyday life, but I ask that your call would override, will somehow integrate and spill out and overflow out of us. Show us what it looks like today to be consumed with your gospel. Show us what it looks like to be consumed with Jesus, the center And may you change us. May you use us to see this city turned upside down. In Jesus' name, amen.